Good morning. How's it going? All right. Well, uh, we're well on our way with our Three Years with Jesus series, and uh, we're in Matthew 13. <laughs> That's funny, huh, Mary Beth? Well on our way. <laughs> three weeks in to Three Years with Jesus. Um, we're going to jump into Matthew 13 this morning. The, uh, the first mini-series, if you will, of Three Years with Jesus is Stories Jesus Told. We're looking at different parables, and uh, we got a couple more weeks of that, and then we'll jump to the next mini-series. I just thought of that. I like that. We have all, we're going to have a bunch of mini-series within the overarching teaching series of Three Years with Jesus. So we're going to be looking at couple of parables Jesus told called the mustard seed and the yeast. We're going to be in Matthew 13, verse 31. But before we get there, I want to look at something Jesus said a little earlier in Matthew when his disciples come to him and they say, uh, why parables? Uh, why are you telling stories? Verse 10, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus said, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them, them being those in power, particularly those in religious power, like the Sanhedrin, uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, but also those in political power. Uh, Jesus is saying that these secrets of the kingdom are given to those that are on the underside of power. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Here's his answer. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And so, uh, Jesus says there's this reality that these people in power, that those who hold all the cards in culture in Jesus' day, uh, they have eyes, but they're not truly seen. They have ears, but they're not truly hearing. Uh, they have hearts that aren't understanding. Uh, otherwise, it, if they would open their eyes, if they would wake up to what God is doing in the world, if they would open their ears to what God is saying in the world, if they would allow their hearts to be open to God's movement in the world, then they would turn and experience more Healing. Uh, this is uh, the text that, for me, I, I take uh, something that I often pray for all of us uh, when we jump into this text. And so as we uh, jump into these two parables, uh, allow me to pray, and then we'll, we'll look at these parables. God, we, we long to hear from you this morning. And so, God, I, I pray that as we look at these images, these stories, these parables that you told 2,000 years ago, that you would indeed wake us up, that you would open our eyes to see, 
that you'd give us ears to hear, that you'd give us hearts to understand, and that we might turn and experience more than ever your healing, restorative, redemptive presence in our lives and in the world. It's in the name of Jesus we say, amen. All right, so then Jesus tells a couple of parables, and then we get to our text for today, verse 31. Jesus told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, here's something, I think when we see something like this, we often skip to, okay, what's he going to say? But it's important to recognize Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. Because here's the thing, we, we in our human language and in our human minds, we can't comprehend what this mysterious kingdom is like. The best we can do is have metaphors and images and pictures to begin to comprehend what God is doing in the world. And so Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. Not the kingdom of heaven is, but the kingdom of heaven is like. Let me, let me help you begin to grasp what this kingdom movement that I came to move forward is doing. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the kingdom before we jump to what Jesus says about the mustard seed. Uh, the kingdom is New Testament language for the way the Old Testament talks about shalom. There is this reality that God created the world for shalom. Now, shalom, we can easily say uh, that that means peace, but it's something so much more than peace. We've talked here before how shalom, God created us for relationships of shalom. And these relationships are to have a relationship of shalom with God, with each other, within ourselves, and with the creation that God has entrusted us with. There are four primary relationships God has created us for. God, others, self, and the natural world that God entrusted us to cultivate and care for. And so shalom is all of those relationships working in beautiful harmony. No brokenness, nothing wrong in the world. Universal flourishing, delight, and harmony. Uh, is that the way things are in our world today? No. Shalom is shattered, right? But shalom never disappeared. Shalom has been present in the world from the beginning. And it remains present, broken and bent and shattered as it is. Shalom is present. And Jesus comes into the world to move that shalom forward, this kingdom of shalom. Jesus comes to reveal more fully what God intended for this world and what he intended for you and I. And so he starts to use images, pictures, stories. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So Jesus gives us this image of a mustard seed, that the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of shalom, 
that he's come to move forward is like a mustard seed. Interestingly, last night around the dinner table, uh, we were talking about a different uh, biblical text where we do this devotional with our kids called Good Dirt. And so we're, we're trying to do three years with Jesus and continue to do Good Dirt. And the text in Good Dirt was a text from the Sermon on the Mount talking about the kingdom. Uh, and one of the questions was, what, what are some characteristics of the kingdom? And my son, who said he wanted me to share this with you, uh, said, um, well, rocks are not a part of the kingdom because rocks cut you. And I said, do rocks cut you or do you cut yourself on rocks? And he said, well, I cut myself on rocks, but they want to cut people. And I said, so rocks have minds and they're thinking, I want to cut people? Yes, they have minds and they are sinners. <laughs> so rocks are not a characteristic of the kingdom to my son, uh, but a mustard seed is. And Jesus uses this image of a mustard seed. And uh, mustard seeds are tiny, tiny, tiny seeds. Uh, uh, in the research I did, uh, one scholar said that 750 mustard seeds weigh one gram. Uh, for those of us uh, still stuck on uh, the American system, that's, uh, that's 1 28th of an ounce. Uh, one gram. 128th of an ounce, uh, 750 of these. So Jesus uses this image of something extremely tiny that gets planted in the ground, and mustard seeds germinate like that and spread like crazy, uh, just all over the place. Next slide. Just all over the place. And so Jesus uses this image of something tiny, super tiny, that will spread like wildfire and grows so quickly and immensely. Um, now, Pliny the Elder talked about mustard, and I just like to quote him whenever I can. Uh, he, he says, mustard is extremely beneficial for health. It grows entirely wild, though it is improved by being transplanted. But on the other hand, when it has been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it, as the seed, when it falls, germinates at once. Uh, so Jesus uses this image of something that is just everywhere, and you can't get the place free of it. Uh, it's interesting that Jesus would use uh, the image of a weed that you can't get free of for the kingdom, this beautiful, flourishing gorgeous thing. Uh, Jesus uses the image of something tiny to talk about the movement of the kingdom, that sometimes it's just something you, you don't even recognize as there until all of a sudden your eyes are open and it's all around you. Uh, interesting that Jesus uses the image of something so small to talk about his kingdom movement because other kingdoms of the world would use images of the mighty oak or a cypress tree, uh, but Jesus uses the image of something small. God had said uh, through the prophet Ezekiel, I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain 
On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. So a lot of people think Jesus is pulling from this image out of Ezekiel when he's talking about the mustard seed. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make low the tree, make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Uh, in the context of Ezekiel, talking about other kingdoms of the world that have risen to power and using their power to exert their strength. And God says, I will take something small. I will take something withered and make it flourish. And I will bring down the kingdoms of the world who use their power and abuse their power. A mustard seed. This is the way Jesus chooses to talk about the kingdom. And then he tells another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, how many of you bake? A few of you. Uh, how many of you have ever worked with 60 pounds of dough? This is it, Dimitri has. Someone else? Tom? I, I used to make pizza. There you go. Uh, so what I read on this is 60 pounds of dough. It, this could make enough bread to feed 100 to 150 people. Uh, this is a lot of dough. This, this is a lot of bread that's going to be made here. Uh, and the image for God here is a divine female baker who is working the yeast into the dough. Uh, the yeast being the picture here, the image here for the kingdom, that it is working all through the dough. Now, a couple of words I want to look at here. The first is uh, mixed. At least the translation I have uses the word mixed. It's actually the Greek word ekrypto, which means to hide, bury, to bury within, to conceal within. Now, when I first uh, looked this up and looked at this word, uh, I kept looking for... I imagine, and I couldn't find it, I imagine this is where we get our modern word encryption from. Uh, but uh, this is the word that Jesus uses. It's not mixed, it's, it's hidden within the dough. You can't see it. And the image Jesus is using here is helping us recognize that the kingdom is everywhere. It's all through the whole loaf. It's everywhere, even when you can't see it. Everyone's affected by it, even if you don't see it. It's there, and it's on the move, and it's breathing through the dough, causing it to rise, causing it to grow in beautiful ways. Um, the other word I want to look at is when Jesus says it's worked all through, all through the dough. That uh, all through is one word, halos. It means the unified whole. It, it's the whole thing that's not divided, it's not parceled out in any way, it's the unified whole. So no part of God's creation is left untouched by the kingdom of Shalom. Jesus is giving us an image here of something beautiful that he has been doing in the world from the beginning of creation. And he has come among us 
to move it forward, to begin to see this shattered shalom restored again. These relationships we were created for to get worked all through the dough and be restored in beautiful ways. Um, next slide. Anyone know what that is? Did, what, say it? SCOBY. That's a SCOBY. Uh, it looks disgusting, doesn't it? Uh, a SCOBY is used to make kombucha. You know what kombucha is? A uh, nice, good probiotic for your digestive system. Uh, my wife makes kombucha. And uh, so we used to try to either take a probiotic or we'd uh, buy kombucha, but it's so expensive. And so Jenna decided, well, I'm, I'm going to just start making this. And uh, she, one day I come home, and she's making kombucha, and I see this disgusting blob on the counter. Uh, and she has a big pot on the stove with tea bags in it, uh, which the SCOBY's not in yet, because there's this whole process of uh, brewing, and then what's called the second brew, and then you get your kombucha. And uh, I, I said, what, what is that? And she said, that's a SCOBY. That's the the yeast, the bacteria that works all through the home-brewed tea that puts the probiotic in the kombucha that then works through our digestion and helps our digestion. Uh, I'm going to come back to this. Can I get that other uh, quote? I think I skipped one. Nope, back. <laughs> there it is. Oh. Uh, what did God choose? Mustard, which Pliny says cleanses the bowels. God is determined to give the constipated world an enema. <laughs> uh, I, I just I love that image. And that's uh, the same with the yeast, the kombucha. Uh, it works all through the tea, and then it works all through us to cleanse us and to make more shalom within us. Uh, so when I said to Jenna, where, where, uh, where'd you get this? You know what she said to me? Craigslist. <laughs> she said, I found this guy on Craigslist. Who, he's a kombucha diehard. He like lives and dies kombucha. And it's his life's mission to get other people to make kombucha. And I said, so you went to some dude's house and came home with that? Yeah. <laughs> we haven't died. Uh, and it continues to grow and reproduce, and she either has to compost it or find other people to give uh, SCOBY to. So if you ever want SCOBY, you know where to come, because it just keeps growing. It never stops growing. The kingdom of God is like a SCOBY that works its way all through the tea and becomes kombucha, and we call it krikbucha. Uh, this is the kingdom of God. It moves in mysterious ways. I mean, who knows how a SCOBY works? This is crazy. But it makes this amazing beverage that's healing and restorative when it works all through your system. Uh, God is on the move like a mustard seed. God is on the move like yeast 
working its way all through the dough. God is on the move like SCOBY working itself into the kombucha. God is on the move doing something new in the world. Uh, these images that Jesus gives us of the kingdom are images of hope, hope for us and hope for our world, that the kingdom is on the move, that, that shalom is still present, as shattered as it is. Shalom is still here, and the kingdom of God is everywhere around us, and the kingdom of God is being worked in us. And we get to be agents of the movement of this kingdom. It doesn't depend on us, but we get to join it. We're not the ones that bring shalom in its fullness back, but it's God in us, God's kingdom in us, moving where we get to be a part of seeing relationships restored with God, with others, within ourselves, and with the creation God's entrusted us with. In, in what ways is the kingdom of God on the move in you? In what ways is God's kingdom movement enabling you and empowering you by God's spirit to bring shalom to the relationships God has entrusted you with. That this is the invitation for us. That this kingdom, this shalom, it's being needed into us and into the whole world. And we are invited to be participants in bringing God's shalom to the world. Uh, I love this quote from Robert Farrar Capon. Uh, he, he has written, in my opinion, the, the best book I've ever read on the parables of Jesus. Uh, he has written on every parable Jesus taught, and he is witty, he's funny, uh, and he's brilliant. He was an Episcopal priest. He died a number of years ago. He was also a baker. He had a cookbook. So he, he loves uh, the parable of the leaven. And he says this, all we need to do and all we can do is simply trust that the leaven is, was, and always will be entirely mixed into the lump of our existence, and that it will infallibly lighten every last one of us. The job is already, if mysteriously done, by the power of the word who breathed out his life for us on the cross, by the might of him who, in the glory of his resurrection, forever whispers our reconciled names into his father's ear, we are as good as baked to perfection right now. We have been accepted in the beloved. The only real development left for us to experience is the final accolade to be spoken over us by the divine woman baker. Now that's what I call a real loaf of bread. Shalom, this kingdom present from the beginning of the world, worked into all creation. Jesus comes to restore that shalom. And his death on the cross and his power of his resurrection propels that shalom forward. And we, as resurrection people, are invited to bring that shalom everywhere we go. Uh, this image of the leaven, but especially the mustard seed uh, sprouting into this, this great plant, and, and the birds, all types of birds from everywhere, uh, finding shelter in this plant 
reminded me of another image of shalom that we're given in Revelation. And it says this, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Uh, this is shalom restored. This image we get. We, we have the tree of life in Genesis, and we have the tree of life in Revelation. The beginning of the story starts with shalom. The end of the story is shalom restored. And the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. Uh, people from every tribe and people group everywhere experiencing shalom. Uh, we could use more shalom in our world, couldn't we? We could use more agents of shalom. We could use more voices of shalom. We, we could use more people who are willing to use language of shalom rather than language of violence and hatred. We need more shalom in our world. And it often starts small. When great leaders use language of violence, it is the call of people who don't have that position to use their voices to speak shalom, to speak peace, to speak kindness, to speak hope, to speak healing in the face of the powers who speak violence and anger and hatred. We are invited into this movement of Jesus, this movement of shalom, this movement of peace that is unlike any other kingdom on earth. That the kingdoms of the earth will continue to rise and fall, but the kingdom of shalom, the kingdom movement of Jesus, is always being worked into the whole lump of dough. It's always being planted and spreading like wildfire, like a mustard seed. It is in you, and it is all around you. All you have to do is say yes. I want to be a part of that kind of movement. I want to be a part of a movement that brings shalom, not division, not despair, but shalom, light and life and love and forgiveness and delight. This is the kind of movement we're invited into. So this morning, as you come and Take the bread and dip it in the cup. This bread, which represents Christ's body broken for us, and the cup, Christ's blood shed for us. Uh, the work of the cross that Christ did on our behalf to bring shalom into our lives. I simply want to invite you to consider what does shalom look like in your life? Where is God inviting you to bring shalom in your home? Uh, 
when I walk into our home and there's a mess everywhere. I'm just thinking, no shalom in the home, no shalom in the home, no shalom in the home. And, uh, but it's reality. <laughs> and so how do I bring shalom when it feels like there's no shalom in the home? Uh, how can you be a presence of shalom in your home? How can you be a presence of shalom in the workplace? How can you be a presence of shalom in your community? How can you be a presence of shalom in Marin? How can you be a presence of shalom in our world? Uh, how is Jesus inviting you to bring this kingdom, to plant the seed, to work in the leaven, to be a part of his kingdom of shalom. The invitation is for all of us. We all get to be a part of restoring relationships with God, with others, within ourselves, and with the creation. God, thank you for these images and these stories. God, reveal to us more fully the, the deep mysteries of your kingdom, of your presence with us, of your shalom. God, when we feel broken, stressed out, burned out, remind us of your presence. When we feel like there is no shalom, wake us up to how we can bring your shalom into each moment of each day. God, thank you for inviting us into this movement. Make us a people of shalom. May we be a shalom-making people. For your glory, God. May your kingdom come. Uh, before we sing, I want to pray this prayer. It says, Bread-baking God, as you nourish us with the bread of life and the milk of your word, let your spirit hang an apron around our necks. Fashioned and patterned like that worn by our Lord, become friend, Jesus. Instruct us here in the halls of your king, kitchen kingdom with the recipes of mercy and forgiveness, of compassion and redemption. Leaven our lives till they rise in praise, offered, blessed, and broken for the healing of the nations. Amen.